Hey there, listeners, Connor here. While we're on hiatus from our normal B-side episodes, we've got a special conversation for you. The film stage's very own Nick Newman sat down with Dustin Guy DeFay, writer and director of the new film The Adults, starring Michael Sarah, Hannah Gross, and Sophia Lillis, which is out now in theaters. You can go see it. Dustin has been making shorts and features for more than a decade. Uh, in addition to the adults being out in theaters, uh, the Criterion Channel is running a retrospective of seven shorts and two features uh, that Dustin and Nick are going to take a fascinating deep dive into. In addition to some self-reflection on his career, Dustin also imparts some insights mining the naturalistic essence of his actors and his thoughts on some do's and don'ts on crafting great dialogue, uh, among other really interesting insights. So we hope you enjoy this. And without further ado, here is Nick Newman chatting with writer-director Dustin Guy DeFay. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk. I feel like also you've been promoting this movie for so long. We actually have an interview with you on the film stage from Berlin. When yeah, you, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were talking with uh, Rory and with uh, Michael Sarah in attendance, and I was really interested because I had got an email about the Criterion Channel series that was launching. And it said that you were available for interview, which I interpreted as, oh, that must mean that he's doing career-spanning legacy interviews of some kind. And I've been interested in your work for a while, and so I saw that as kind of a unique opportunity. And it's funny because, not for nothing, I feel like you and I have weirdly almost crossed paths multiple times over the years on separate ends of the United States. Because in January of 2017, I went to Metropolis Post, which for those listening who don't know, which is probably most people, is a post-production color correction DCP creation facility in Manhattan. And you were like one step ahead of me to use their screening room. And you were doing some kind of review of person to person and the door was slightly ajar when you were sitting in there. So I actually watched the last like four minutes person to person while you were in there. And then you came out and I kind of wanted to say hello, but I didn't know you. And I figured you had just got done with what was maybe kind of a stressful taxing process of overseeing a final cut of your movie before it goes to Sundance. I thought, I'm just going to leave him alone. And then over the years, you know, you end up at the same party as somebody. But again, if you don't know somebody, you kind of wonder, should I bother them. But then a month ago, I was in Los Angeles for the first time ever. And a friend dropped me off at a little block that had a cafe and a bookstore. And I saw you sitting outside talking to somebody. And again, it's one of those things where I thought, I, I don't know this guy, I'm just gonna leave him alone. But it's sort of my one celebrity sighting in LA was Dustin Guy DeVay. <laughs> and then I go for a walk somewhere, and then I go to the bookstore. And then again, you're in there. And I think maybe I should, no, I'll leave him alone. So as an admirer of your work, who's crossed paths with you many times inadvertently, 
in different parts of the United States, I thought this would be a good opportunity. I mean, for me personally, maybe not for you. We'll figure that out. But <laughs> oh, sure. what was the bookstore? Oh, okay, I don't know where you were, but I don't know where I was or where you were. Okay. I don't know where I was either because I'm such a uh, I'm so stuck in my New York mindset that the entire time it was near the house where they shot a woman under the influence. Weirdly, whoa, well, I know that. So yeah, I would like to. Okay, yeah, because my friend and I went there right after. So oh. Oh. Yeah. If I look up the address, I'll be able to find it. That's place. not where they lived. They didn't live in that house, did they? I thought they did. It wasn't the same house in um, Faces? Is that not the same house? or It may okay. be. Okay. Well, wow. Okay. Well, I want to... Okay. So I'll yeah. look that up. Okay. Yeah. Need... Okay. <laughs> uh, and I guess, you know, I watched and rewatched all the stuff that's on the Criterion channel, and I watched the adults all within the past two weeks, week maybe. So I've had kind of an intense concentration period of your work. I'd like to know for you if having this Criterion series has kind of underlined the shape of your career or put it now into a new perspective that previously you yourself didn't even have. I mean, it definitely gives me a perspective that I didn't have, even though I always feel like I'm doing something different. Sometimes I feel like I end up in the same place in some kind of way because looking at them all, all together, they all belong together. And I don't, then they all really truly feel like me. And then I don't, I haven't really looked at them and thought much about like the time periods that they were made yet. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it is fascinating to see the body of work and look and go, whoa, I, I, th yeah, I feel very happy about them. And I really like, I like that they're all sort of different in their own way, but they all belong together. But the belonging together, yeah, is not something we too much about until now. She, I change so much all the, and I'm always changing my mind. So I can say this now in my mind, but because sometimes I say something and then I, either accident I don't try not to read about myself or anything, but sometimes I accidentally see something on prize I said something. Or I realize, oh yeah, I did feel that way then, but I don't feel that way now. But right at this moment I do feel I sort of understand what my strengths are as a filmmaker, as a writer, and I'm and I'm trying to go deeper in those arenas. So I'm I and I never really honed in that way. I've, I've been more expansive in my thinking and like filmmaking in some kind of way. And now I'm like, basically the idea right now is to like really just hone in on the voice that I have and like the, the thing that I have. And like, I, I'm, I think I'm seeing it a little bit more clearly. I'm just like, okay, now I'm just going to go full on on this and um, understand my strengths and just go all the way. This is basically where I'm at at this point. But I haven't felt that way. I've been more like... Uh, expansive and like searching and like experimenting and figuring things out and but now I feel like here yeah this is me I and but it, but it happened right before the seeing all the things together but I think even seeing the things together has even accentuated my feeling of this of 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 where I feel right now again I could change my mind but that's sort of where I'm at that kind of suggests to me a very positive headspace then because you're talking about your strengths as a filmmaker so are you not necessarily thinking about the i wish i had done this differently in this 
short that I made in 2014? Is it more now about looking at The Adults, which is a film that premiered five months ago and thinking, that's really good. I want to do more of that. Is it not so much about... Yeah. Okay. I mean, my whole... my whole fo- Yeah, I mean, I haven't really... I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, The Adults has just been on my mind a lot and being just with audiences and sharing it has been so wonderful for me. And I... And just as... It's been... It, there's been sort of a satisfying feeling to that. Um, and just seeing the response actually happen has been just wonderful, and it has affected me for sure. Um, but I, have, you know, I haven't been thinking. It's the only movie of mine that I've been thinking about a lot about because of you know just the nature of releasing and sharing. Um, and but seeing the Korean stuff and then talking about the Korean stuff, I've been, I think about, I have been thinking about those things. But it's more been about the adults, yeah. But um, there was another part of your what you said I wanted to address, but. I, can't remember what it was, but the question of maybe things in your work that you don't like. Oh, I see. Like, do I? Oh, yeah. No, I. I do. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's easy. I. Do, I try not to do that. I think I. It's like I don't feel good when I'm. I don't feel good when I look back and think, oh, I could have done that differently. I. I do think those things, but I like. I let them go very quickly because there's really just no reason to linger. It just doesn't help me whatsoever. I try to help myself. I mean, I don't help myself often all the time, but I. I try not to, yeah, I try to let that stuff go. Um, it's easy to do that. With, I think everybody sort of has that. Maybe they don't. I don't know. It's it's easy to over overanalyze your own work or think about it too much. I don't think it's very, it's not very healthy to, for me. So I just try to move. Um, but I, I'm really always just most, I'm always just very just super hyper-focused on whatever I'm doing at the moment work-wise. Well, you know, I hadn't seen either Bad Fever or Family Nightmare, both of which are credited to 2011. And knowing your later work, I have to say I was quite shocked at the darkness, bleakness of both films. You know, I've read an interview with you where you talked about how you would screen Family Nightmare and you would be frustrated because people would initially laugh at the short because of the sort of funny sounding voices. Yeah, yeah. I don't, did I say it was frustrated? I did that. I'm surprised because I, I mean, I knew that it was going to be, I knew that it was a, I felt like a trap. I mean, I thought I, pur- I purposely made it to feel like I thought it was, I I also thought it was funny at the beginning. Yeah. So at the very least, you said that you were very surprised that people found it funny when the voices start. This is an interview I found from like okay. 2011. Okay. So it was a while ago. So I, I remember sometimes, I remember sometimes people not taking the thing seriously throughout the, enti- the entire thing. But like, I don't remember anyway. Okay. But yeah. Um, And it has, you know, one of the, I mean, you couldn't try to predict an ending so dark as that short has. I mean, truly just pulverizing stuff. And Bad Fever, I think, is also, I realized while I was watching it that it's almost like a nightmare version of the adults, in a way, of like the worst possible thing that could happen to some of the characters in those films. And then there is probably more uh, levity and happiness in the opening credits of your second feature person to person than there is in all of Bad Fever. And in between, you have a couple of shorts, including a documentary short about Satanists that nevertheless has like a certain joie de vivre and a certain kind of, I would say, almost like proto how-to with John Wilson quality to it. And I'd love to know if for you in the six-year span from that short and that feature to person to person, if there's anything that accounts for what I would dare call a lighter feeling coming into your work. I mean, I think it must, it must just be my own, 
it must just be my life experience, I think, in some kind of way. I mean, I think, I mean, Family Nightmare is obviously about my family and it, it is about my the, the, the tragedies of my family and um, about growing up in that kind of atmosphere. I mean, it's also about the good times that we that the family was having too, while destroying themselves and their bodies. Um, and Bad Fever was really about a certain um, desire to express myself, but not knowing how. And I, 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 I did spend a lot of my time being very um, stunted like that. I mean, I didn't talk like in high school. I didn't talk literally for the first three years, two and a half years. I didn't speak a word. And, um, and you know, Eddie Coopersmith in that movie is just uh, a more extreme version of myself uh, and the desire to express myself and not being able to, or trying to fit in. Um, and I have, a, I still have, I mean, I have darkness within and I have dark, I have, you know, I have, I have my own darkness and, um, but it's not, I'm, I'm sort of lucky in a certain way because I actually really love people and human beings and friends. And, um, I, I'm fortunate that I have that feeling, um, which also comes from my family too, for sure. But, um, um, I think it's, I think it's circumstances. I think, I think, um, I developed as a, I, de, I, I, I mean, I purposely developed myself as a human being to try to, I, there was a point in my life where I was sort of disturbed that I felt numb. I spent a lot of my, I think I spent a lot of my time, my life being, feel, having a numbness feeling. And I, I think I, I just didn't, I wanted to understand, not under, I didn't understand. I don't think I want to understand why necessarily. I just didn't want to feel numb. So I spent, I, I, it took a long time to like get closer to myself and to, to, to get emotional. And I've gotten very emotional in life. Like I've always been emotional, but like there was an, I don't know. I just felt there was an also this, also this part where I just felt numb and not really in tune with my emotions. And I think that must be part of it. And then, and being, and being more and more concerned about other people and, and developing deeper friendships and getting, you know, I feel like I spent a long time not having deep friendships. Um, and then other things to just happen in life, like a close, I've had two close friends pass away and one, and the first one, yeah, I mean, I think that that makes you realize how important friendships are and people are. And, and, and those two people were so important to me that it really did bring about seismic changes in my life which is what happens when somebody who you love who you're close to dies and so um i will i would say that it's like a combination of all that and um and and just getting closer to the feeling of how fleeting life is and how important and, and trying to just stay connected with people and try to nurture those connections and um i think that's probably maybe the art but i don't it's not like i wouldn't ever make a dark movie again or anything like that or but maybe that's why i am really very interested in how people treat each other and um i mean in my work and in life but how they treat each other and like how they how, how can they get along and how can they s express love if it's very difficult to express love um speaking of cassavetes like that i feel like that a lot of his work is like that also um 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's sort of, if I'm analyzing myself, maybe the answer at the moment. Yeah. Well, you know, you said that, I think it was in your Criterion Channel interview that you always want to do something different with every effort. And I think you've succeeded at that, but I do have to wonder if you find yourself time and, time and again, shorts, features across now, you know, something like 12, 13 years, if you find yourself sometimes slipping into these familiar shapes, patterns, which is to say, do you essentially find your auteur stamp across the shorts and features? I think I do, but it's not it's not on purpose. I mean, it just sort of happens. I mean, you it's almost like you can't really you can't really get away from yourself. I mean, yeah, I don't I, I do. Yeah, even though I try to but like even now I don't even know like the feeling of making something different is actually sort of I don't really I don't even want I'm I'm trying not even to think that way. All I all I'm thinking right now is like I want to go deeper emotionally. I just want to like but I also want to craft I don't, they, they don't need to be called bigger stories, but they are in a certain, like I'm trying to craft the emotional scope even, I want to go deeper in that sort of arena, but it's, so I, yeah, at this point it's like, I feel like I'm not, I don't know, I don't, it's like, I don't, I'm not really concerned about making things different every single time, even though every project is different. I'm just, I'm more, it's, uh, now the feeling is just deeper, go deeper, get more connected to the characters, as, like get, how how connected to the characters can you feel and um, how how can you re as the film? I mean, me myself. How can I relate to the characters more, understand them more, and how can I complicate those things with plot? How can I make things more, you know? And and yeah. So, um, I yeah. That's what I think. That's what I meant at the beginning. Where like I I feel like I was more open to like I, my my the expanse of what I sort of I kept thinking I was gonna make all different kinds of things and I still have but like now I'm really just feeling like actually now what I'm doing is sort of being like a hawk and like focusing really and really and almost just as intensely as I can on like this the story that I'm about to you know write is like just really honing in on it and not thinking necessarily about difference but just getting as deep emotionally as I can that doesn't mean I'm like it's going to be emotional I think it might be but like feeling emotionally like just understanding the emotional core as much as I possibly can and feeling and feeling that for myself. Right. Right. You know, I will say that across your work, um, there is a, a really wonderful ear for dialogue, which is kind of an easy thing to say, like, oh, the dialogue's great or whatever. Like, what does that actually mean? But I guess for me, it's that there's this kind of panoply of voices where you avoid one of the worst traps a screenwriter could fall into, which is every character sounds the same. And it all kind of sounds like it's coming from the same voice. Mm. And I also wonder if, you know, having done myself a little bit of acting, but not enough to call myself an actor, having done a little bit of screenwriting, but not enough to call myself a screenwriter, I kind of was thinking that it, it's sort of like an actor's ideal, because I get the sense that it could be read and performed a multitude of ways. And it allows actors space to kind of find an emotional center to a scene. Um, which I think is maybe exemplified by your great short dramatic relationships, which puts so much stress and interest on intonations and intentions and in how scenes are constructed with actors. So what are some of your principles for writing dialogue? I don't know if you have like, you know, an itemized list of it should be this, it should be this, it should be this, or if it's more about 
feeling your way through and finding it. But in general, do you have a kind of personal guidepost for dialogue? I mean, it's, it's, I've worked on it. I mean, I, I know, I, I knew that was always the thing that I sort of knew that I had a knack for. And so I've understood that I have a knack, but then at the same time, there's this other part where I've developed it and worked on it really hard. I've written tons of bad dialogue that I never made. I, I, it's, it's, it's really like I've written probably, I'm sure I've written way more bad dialogue than I have good dialogue. I've just thrown it all away and continually thrown it away. So it's just about working through all the exposition that I've written and just like terrible on the nose stuff, but also just unnatural things. But like, I, I think more and more I'm just trying to, like, I feel like affectations and things like this, I'm trying to like work my way, like, I don't, I'm trying to get to a more natural, very, very natural place um, with the dialogue and a less literal play, like a literary place. Um, so, but I, I, you know, I can't, you know, it's hard to not be influenced. I mean, like to, I just, yeah, I do love it. Dialogue's so weird. It's so interesting because like it needs to feel natural, but you also, you also, I love good dialogue, but at the same exact time, it's like, it should feel natural. So it's really complicated. Like Aaron Sorkin or something obviously writes good dialogue, but is it, what's the is it more is it it, it aaron sorkin's dialogue isn't more natural than like kent lonergan's i would say and and if i if i you know i don't not to shoot aaron sorkin i mean aaron sorkin's obviously a great screenwriter and he writes great dialogue but i'm much more of a kenneth lonergan fan and i love i think karen lonergan's like maybe the best at that i mean i think he's probably mm -hmm. I mean, he's just, yeah, probably the best, you know? And um, he and Annie Baker are both playwrights and she has a new movie coming out. And like, I, I'm i very curious to see what that translation is for her um, because she's very good at dialogue also and in, in has a certain kind of knack for making it actually feel really organic and natural. So I'm really curious how the movie's going to be. The thing about Sorkin and Tarantino, who's obviously an incredible screenwriter, is they both you can feel them their own you can feel their own excitement over the dialogue and they're just like you can feel their blood running or something and then Lonergan you don't think about it you don't you forget or something like you he's just like I feel like there's part of it that's more about the scenes and the scenarios and the characters and he's and he's let he's letting he's getting out of the way you know I think I think he's truly probably getting out of the way, and Sorkin and Tarantino would never be able to get out of the way. I mean, so I I'm trying to get out of the way <laughs> as much as I can. Like I'm trying to like let the character. I'm trying to let the. I, I think they do it too. I mean, Tarantino for sure lets his characters run the show, but I and I'm trying to let the character run the show too. I I'm just like I guess Tarantino probably doesn't like he just no, probably he. I think his characters do what they want to do, and he lets them do that. But I don't know if Sorkin does that necessarily. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> but uh i don't know this is sort of yeah i guess yeah but i love yeah i think is like i guess it's a, for me it's been like i love dialogue and then like i feel like i'm good at it how do i make it even more how do i continually make it feel more natural while still doing dialogue that i really like love and yeah well the adults is really interesting partly for this reason because 
two of the leads are Michael Sarah and Hannah Gross, who you've worked with before, Hannah Gross in multiple times, um, more than just person to person, I should say. But then there's also uh, Sophia Lillis, who is kind of this newcomer to your work. And you had said in an interview that you saw her in It Chapter 2, a film you didn't like, and then you saw her in interviews, and then you really responded to her there. And you kind of were just thinking of her for the role from the basis of a film you didn't like, and then interviews where she's just herself, which I think is a really interesting way of approaching, you know, marrying a character with an actor. Um, do you see a, a distinction writing for, on the one side, if there are sides, Michael Sarah and Hannah Gross, and then Sophia Lillis because of the differing experiences that you have with the actors? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, yeah, in an ideal, I mean, if I was living, I mean, like some, you know, the, you know, sometimes I feel like the dream is to, you know, do the Bergman or the Cassavetes or the Mike Lee thing and like have my crew, my, you know, keep working with my cast of characters and like actors. Like I do, you know, I, I've realized how much I am inspired. I mean, I made person to person because I was inspired by Benny and I made the adults because I was inspired by Michael. And um, I have an actors I love so much and I really feel like they're the driving force of what I'm doing, like my desire to work with them. Yeah, so in an ideal world, I think I would always be like, know everybody who's gonna, who was gonna be in the movie. But this, it doesn't seem possible. It's just not, I, unless I get into like a, unless I, yeah, I mean, with Michael, I guess it is sort of like that. I mean, and Kelly Reichardt has been working with Michelle Williams and that seems to be like a very, that seems to make a lot of sense for them and, um, and yeah, I, I, it's great to think about people, but also I don't, I don't know. I'm not doing that with the next one. I am, I have ideas, but I don't know the people that I'm thinking about. Um, so it's not necessary at all. I, I think that's sort of, I don't, I don't try to hold on to that. Um, but yeah, when I'm casting, I, I always look at interviews with everybody. Even this, I look at interviews with all, everybody who's in the movie, all, all the small roles, everything. Sometimes when I'm watching, yeah, I mean, like I like I'm just looking for the essence of the person more. That's what I'm mostly interested in. So I, um, I'll watch, you know, auditions and things. But I, but I, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I ever, unless they don't have interviews online or I can't find something, whether it being natural. But um, I'm really, yeah, I'm really drawn toward their their natural essence. It's not that I want. I mean, I am looking for them to be natural. I'm not looking, and I'm not looking for them to play themselves. But I'm looking for a sort of essence. That sometimes actors aren't often, you know, because I don't think every every director is not looking for essence. They're looking for something that's very particular. And so, so a lot of actors don't have any scenes that they've acted or reels that they've done where it shows their essence. So you have to sort of go to interviews to find the essence. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny because one of the shorts that's on Criterion is called Editing, where Hannah Gross is like just... Uh, catastrophically funny delivering almost no dialogue just as a physical performer and then in the movie you know you have the characters do these impersonations and i'm sure you've seen that michael Sarah's tony soprano impersonation is starting to go viral right i sent it to somebody and they said oh yeah i've already seen that or yeah. i think at one point hannah gross does a march simpson impersonation yes if that's yeah, what it is yeah yeah okay. yeah she yeah. does one too he does one earlier yeah he does it and then she does it yeah oh okay i'll be able to catch it but yeah it's there yeah yeah uh, you know, the adults really surprised me because 
I watched the film not knowing where it was shot, and I discovered it was shot exactly where I grew up because I grew up in Fishkill and Hopewell Junction, yeah. and then I'm right next to Beacon, and there's a shot early on of the Beacon Newburgh Bridge, and I have that. Wait a second, what's going on here, Mom? Yeah, At, to the point where I, there were certain, you know, kind of medium shots of characters in a space, and I went, I know exactly where that is. Um, I think Michael Zero's character, based on the end credits, stays at the Marriott that is two and a half miles from my mom's house, in which I've probably driven past, you know, ninety five hundred times in my life. That's where we uh, all. That's where we all. Uh, sorry, that's where almost all of us stayed. Was in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's so funny. Did you go to the Chipotle across the street or the uh, Red Line Diner or? We, no, we didn't go to any of the. No, we went to. I can't think. Yeah, but no. Yeah. But. Yeah. It was still, it was just very really a huge surprise, and so I have to ask, how did you come upon them and settle upon there as a shooting location? I mean, it took a while to find. I mean, we were looking, you know, we um, we were looking upstate, you know, because everybody was going to come from New York. All the cast is there, so we had, you know, sort of a no brainer of doing that. Um, but we searched for we we you know we we looked and 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 actually the house was going to like we. We looked at houses in different places, and that was going to be where we were going to sort of. Once we found the house, then we were going to start centering the production around that. Um, so I think Fishkill was in. The, I mean, like there were different. Uh, what are the Socrates? We shot in Socrates. Like the center of everything was where the house was going to be, and we ended up finding that that house was in Newburgh, and that's how we ended up in Newburgh. But yeah, our hotel's not Newburgh. It's in that's Fishkill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so, um, so once we found the house, then, then fish kill became where we had, st you know, this kind of thing starts happening. Um, but we were looking a lot of places, we up and down around there. Um, and then, and then that happened to be the place we ended up. Right. Well, I think part of why I responded to it so strongly is because for me, maybe the most fascinating current running through this film, which I really, really enjoyed, is having come from that exact area, so pinpoint specifically there, and now I live in Brooklyn, you know, I've lived in New York City my entire adult life. Personally, I am so, so scared of the idea of living in Fishkill or Beacon as an adult, because that to me would be like reverting going back. And I think the movie reflects that very well in how Michael Sarah's character, Eric, treats it when he comes in from... And maybe I'm just going to out myself as having missed something, but I don't know if it's ever specified where he's coming from, particularly. You just know that somewhere... They say Portland, but... Um, they do. Okay. Ah, well, that would mean missing it. Now said it could be Maine. But somebody said now said it could be Maine or um, or Oregon. I I meant Oregon, but you know it could be. Yeah. Because you never know. But that thing with the character, you don't know. It. Well, you that part you would know if he's lying or not because his sister would know where he lives. I'm sure. Well, it's funny because... Hannah Gross's character, Rachel, is maybe the best adjusted character in the movie, I would dare say. Obviously, her life is not perfect, but, you know, she has a house. She seems like she is trying to get through life by the means that she has. And there isn't necessarily, I don't think there's necessarily a social economic status signaled by her living in the small town or even living in a house, which a lot of people my age simply don't. We live in apartments in the city. Um, and then kind of in the middle of that is Sophia Willis's character, Maggie, who has made this big decision to quit college, which Eric feels is throwing her life away. 
Uh, Rachel's maybe not quite so concerned in that way. And then it raises this question of, well, is Eric projecting in some way? Is Rachel projecting in some way? And I, I'm curious about that kind of current of what it means to be a person in, say, your mid-30s living in a small town. If that's something that you were thinking about, particularly as you were writing it, or that maybe came about organically, naturally, you know, while you're staging these other aspects of the show. Um, yeah, I, um, I mean, um, I'm from, I mean, I'm from Salt Lake City and I grew up in Salt Lake City, and, but then I went to high school in Oregon, in Southern Oregon, in a small town called Grants Pass, which is by Medford and Ashland. Um, and, uh, um, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, when I, I mean, when I go to Salt Lake City, I, I definitely feel like I, do, I like it there actually. And like, it wouldn't be the, I mean, could I live there again? Probably not, but also I like it. It's, it's big enough and I like it enough. And the people, I like the people enough that I, it wouldn't be the worst, you know, I could probably bear it in my life, but like, but Grants Pass, I mean, there's no, there's no way I would be, ha it's impossible that I would be happy there. And, um, and you know, I don't, I don't even know if it's about place that you outgrow necessarily. I don't know because I just, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Eric's outgrown the place. I think he thinks he's grown out, outgrown the place, but I think for this movie in particular, I think it's like, um, I think he just, um, I think the place represents family and I think the place represents more than anything, probably maybe his mother, but at this particular moment in his life and for this movie in this time, the place, I think more, but all this is, this is pretty unconscious to me, but the place represents Rachel and childhood and their relationship and sort of the control and power he had um, when they were children. And so I think like he feel, I think he feels, I think unconsciously he feels like he's powerless there, but he wants to feel powerful there. And that's how the, that's why the poker is a perfect sort of antidote to that. And the flip side uh, and the, the reason for him to be able to stay and the reason he thinks he can sort of control something there, um, in the place that he doesn't really belong anymore. Um, cause like, I think when I go to Grants Pass, I feel, I do feel very powerless and I feel like I'm regressing pretty quickly and I feel sort of lost. I don't feel like myself. Uh -huh. And it, he feels, I think he feels that way too. And I think wherever he's living, Portland, I think he's built a life where he feel he can feel comfortable and feel like he has power. And here, especially with Rachel, he feels, you know, he just simply doesn't have, he's not comfortable because he doesn't, he's not able to control what's happening. Right. Yeah. It, I think it's because I just don't, see a lot of films that are made about small town American life in quite the same way, where I think a lot of them are about somebody who goes back and then kind of like, I think there was a joke years ago that, you know, 40% of Sundance movies were about somebody going back to their small town and then they meet their high school girlfriend or something and so on and so forth. And this movie seems to undercut so much of that in a way that I thought was really brilliant. And the kind of anxiety that you're able to draw out of that life oh, yeah. to me felt, I think also because I, 
could picture exactly where that location was. And I think to myself, oh, wow, I would really hate to be there. Yeah. Um, I'll I think have a lot of movies have the arc. Yeah, I think those some of those movies have maybe the arc of like, oh, yeah, going back and like, um, I don't know, changing more or like, or like if in, if in a different movie, he would go back and like somehow fit in or something. But in this movie, he just, he really, really doesn't yeah. believe anymore. And it's, it's about like, yeah, I mean, it is the, it is, this movie is like the funeral of childhood or something, you know, in the past, but yeah. It, while we have time, I also want to ask about your work as an editor, because I find it impressive and even frankly kind of aspirational that you're often an editor on the films that you also write and direct. And in the Criterion Channel interview, there is at one point a script to screen comparison of the person to person short that's almost exact with what you see on screen. But I think there's maybe like a small spot of difference in a line of dialogue at one point. And you also tell a great story about how Bad Fever came to life once David Lowry edited the film, even to the point of having a different opening scene. Yeah. And The Adults is a film that you co edit. And I'd like to know for you if you feel maybe a different kind of relationship, not even necessarily for better or for worse, but just a different feeling about this film being that you co-edited it as opposed to handled it entirely solo. Michael Taylor did the assembly and then we worked together for three weeks and then he came back for another week uh, later on. And I also went to him with, you know, cuts and got notes from him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it did end up in the same place as with like person to person where I felt alone and, um, I was working alone. It got to that place and I just don't, I don't, I really don't, I, I, I've really grown as editor. I've gotten very good, but I still like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be editing my own features. I edit the shorts. It's, you know, you just do, I mean, that's the length of time is so short that you don't, you don't, it's, 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 it's okay. It's, it's easier to stay objective. And then like with an edit, it's really, really easy to get lost. And then if you've directed the movie, it's even harder and like the length of time of editing. And yeah, I just, yeah, I'm trying, I've been trying, I, I didn't think I was going to get myself into this position again with this movie, but it ended up happening. Um, and uh, it, it, yeah, I don't know. I um, I've, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it is one, it is like the old adage of like, you know, you learn, you, you know, you can learn, you learn so much from editing about how to write a movie, even. Um, and I've discovered that really that this is really true for me. Um, editing movies has made me become a better writer and understand what is needed in a screenplay. And so when I'm writing, I'm, I'm thinking about the editing too, in a certain way, or I'm editing the scripts, knowing like economy of things and things like that. But yeah, I just, um, it's a lonely, yeah, I, I, I mean, the, yeah, ideal world for me is like, be lonely when I'm writing. And then that's the only stage where I feel extremely lonely. <laughs> so I don't want to be alone anymore editing. I'm just trying not to have it, but it keeps happening. But, you know, um, we'll see. I hope I don't, you know. I said it last time. I didn't think I was going to do it again and it ended up happening. Do you, has it also shaped how you approach it as a director on set too, thinking about, I don't know if you're shooting much coverage because the adults 
I feel like has a number of longer shots that play pretty organically in a master style. Yeah. You know, that doesn't, it didn't necessarily strike me as a film where a lot of coverage was shot, but also I wasn't on the set, so I can't speak to that. I mean, the one, usually when there's a master shot, I didn't cover it. I mean, it was all purposely and, you know, you run a risk doing that. And sometimes it's really hard to get the right take. I mean, it could take a long time. We did, you know, but, um, um, no, the long, you know, the, the shots that are long, that are masters are, there's no coverage. Um, so that's all. And, you know, they're purposely like, you know, I, I do it on purpose in the, you know, there's a strategy to the shots and when they happen and all that stuff. Um. Yeah, but definitely when I'm shooting, I'm thinking about the edit and, you know, it's, it's helpful to be an editor or to at least understand editing in a deeper way. Cause you can be very smart about the schedule. You can be very smart about like just getting small chunks of takes knowing yeah, you can just be very strategic, especially when you don't, when you're, you know, working on a low budget and trying to be, but trying to be smart about time and how much time you have. And I guess maybe what I would ask as a last question is, since so much of your work is now available either in this Criterion Channel series or the adults playing theatrically, is there any one work that you would really recommend as a starting point if somebody doesn't know your work? Yeah, I mean, um, um, yeah, I mean, if they have Criterion or they're going to get Criterion, I mean, I, I, I think... That's a hard, it's, I think probably the, well, no, I don't know. I guess if I was just going to guess, I mean, I, cause I think it's easy if you started with dramatic relationship or something, they'd be totally fine a review. But I think in a way, maybe it's fun. I mean, yeah, no, I've always sort of thought that family nightmare over on person, person is short are great ways to start, but I don't even know if that's true, but yeah, maybe one of those two, or I don't think it's bad to start, but it's not, I mean, I think it's, it's either or also starting with the, I don't know. But yeah, I guess if I, if I was gonna pick something, like to start, I mean, I think it'd be most interesting to start with person to person, the short, and then like, and then just go from there. Maybe that's right. fascinating enough. Or, yeah, I don't know. All right, I'm enough of a fan where I say, wherever they start, watch it all. All right, that's, that, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for the time and, uh, really great answers and everything. I've Nick. been a fan for a while as, and you know, I keep running into you next time I see you all. Yeah, Nick, please just, if I don't remember, I mean, like, or, you know, sometimes when, if I'm having a bad day, I can act weird, but if you run into me on an okay day, maybe I won't act strange. Yeah, and if you act strange, I know now that it's, you know, not. I don't, personal. maybe I'll, I think I'll remember, Nick. I think I'll try, I'll try very, you know. Okay, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll remember. Um, I, but depending on the day, I might not. But anyway, try to remind me. Yeah. I don't. All right. But definitely say yes this time. Or I mean, say, uh, not yes, sorry, say hi. Okay, I will do that. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with the rest of the promotion of the film and good luck with the film itself. And yeah, I really enjoyed it so much. So I'm really hoping it does well. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Very fun to talk. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember that The Adults is out now in theaters, and you can catch a bunch of Dustin's past work on the Criterion channel. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe, and give us a follow on social media at TFSBside. And until next time, thanks for listening.